Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are Locked On 49ers, your daily San Francisco 49ers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On 49ers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brian Peacock. Thanks, everybody, for joining me on this Tuesday. Going to be talking to Jeff Dini of Pro Football Focus. He is the 49ers media correspondent and an analyst at PFF. Always great to talk to him. We're going to break down uh, what's going on statistically here with the 49ers and how things look from an analytics perspective from the first three weeks of the 2017 season. And speaking of PFF, a reminder, just rate and review Locked On 49ers on iTunes to enter yourself into the PFF Edge subscription giveaway going on here on the whole entire Locked On Podcast Network. One winner per week per show is getting selected for a PFF Edge membership with a value of $39.99 for the year. And it's an awesome tool for football fans to have this PFF membership and see all the information and get fantasy information. There's NFL draft information in the offseason as well. So just go to iTunes and rate and review the show, and you'll be entered to win. Going to be picking this week's winner a little bit later in the week. You can follow me on Twitter at BDPeacock. Email the show, LockedOn49ers at Gmail. We are streaming everywhere, including iTunes and Spotify. We've got a Facebook page. And you can always head over to LockedOn49ers.com to find all your podcast needs. All the shows are streaming over there as well. But really the thing to do is subscribe to the show and your preferred delivery method of podcasts and tell a friend about Locked On 49ers. One quick note is Tank Carradine was placed on injured reserve with the designation two returns. That's going to put him out eight weeks. It's a four to six week injury. So uh, there's going to be a couple extra weeks for him to heal. He should be back by week 12. It looks like if everything goes right with his healing of his high ankle sprain, uh, that opened up a roster spot. And the 49ers have signed a linebacker from the Dallas Cowboys practice squad named Mark Zecca or Zecha. It starts with an N, but I, I'm guessing that the N is silent. Maybe the Z is silent. Maybe it's Je- maybe it's Zecca, Zecca. I don't know. Uh, his name's Mark. Let's just call him Mark. I'm uh, usually pretty good with names, but that one, I definitely uh, got that wrong probably every single time I just attempted it. But yeah, new 49ers signed from the Cowboys practice squad. Tank Carradine goes on IR with a designation to return. All right, let's not waste any more time. Let's get to my guest today. All right, joining me now is Jeff Dini. You know him from the show. He is 49ers media correspondent at Pro Football Focus. You can find him on Twitter at PFF underscore Jeff and a frequent guest here on Locked On 49ers. Jeff, thanks for joining me once again. Thanks for having me back. So let's see. Let's get into 49ers obviously 0-3. So uh, the PFF grades don't probably show a lot on the green side. There's, there's probably a lot of red on, on the PFF grades there, and, and I've looked some things over. And there is definitely some bright spots, um, and I want to get to some of those bright spots toward the end. I want to start with, well, actually, what became a bright spot in the last, you know, two and a half quarters of football, but for the first 10, 
uh, quarters of the season was not great, and that's quarterback Brian Hoyer. What have you seen from Hoyer, and do you think he has enough to stave off uh, the rookie C.J. Beathard for a full season? Yeah, I mean, obviously it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that Hoyer really struggled the first two games. Um, I mean, I think, not to throw him under the bus, I think if you get any kind of quarterback play in Week 2 up in Seattle, they probably win that game. Yeah, um, yeah he's he only threw, I think, three passes that were 10 yards downfield. The entire game didn't complete any of them. I mean, some of that I think is obviously the pass rush, and some of that I think is just the scheme, because with Seattle's defense, you kind of take what they give you, and I think there's a lot of you know checkdowns and shorter passes. But um, tough to move the ball that way when you're not really completing passes downfield. And then, uh, you know, last week it was you know, obviously the, the pass to start the game, that was, the interception was awful. But after that, he did a pretty good job rebounding, and I think – you know, the rest of the game, at least last week, is pretty much, you know, kind of what I think the 49ers are hoping when they got Brian Hoyer, where, you know, some solid play out of the pocket, you know, able to do some things with Shanahan's scheme. And, you know, he's not a guy who's going to, you know, be able to, you know, create a lot of stuff on his own when the play, you know, the pocket breaks down, which I think we've seen. But uh, right. the last three quarters, he looked really good. I mean, last week against the Rams, you know, they talked about going 0 for 3, uh, against Seattle, but he was 8 of 11 for 239 yards on throws 10 yards downfield, so night and day um, between, you know, week three and the last two weeks. And then the other interesting thing with him was the finally the play-action game kind of started kicking. You know, they've been very successful running the ball the first two weeks, but the first two, they really weren't able to to make that into, you know, a successful, you know, passing game with the play-action. And finally that kind of kicked in against the Rams. They were, uh, Hoyer was 8 of 9 for 152 yards and two TDs um, on on his play action throws, which was a perfect pass rating of like about 158. He's he's about 50 points higher um, so far this season when they're using play action as opposed to when they're not. So I think, yeah, I kind of said this if, if you follow me on Twitter all along, it was kind of just ad nauseum to a point. But I thought the play action was the key to the passing game, and I think finally saw it, some success with it last week against the Rams. Yes, absolutely, and um, it's funny because. It's, some, it's weird how NFL games take on a life of their own, and sometimes it takes the other team bombing the ball around for your team to wake up. And it's funny that the 49ers played Seattle so close in a 12-9 to game, and then all of a sudden it seems like the Rams' offense almost woke up the 49ers' offense, and all of a sudden they're hitting big plays, and then you get a, a 41-39, which really should have been 41-41 tie after four quarters in that, uh, in that Rams game on Thursday night. Yeah, and definitely, I think they, you know they were down, you know, you know, ten, fourteen points for a good chunk of that game. I think they didn't have a choice; they had to start kind of flinging around. Really, I mean, the Seattle game was back and forth. They actually had to lead for most of the fourth quarter, so they didn't have to really open it up. But I think it was really by necessity here. And then they ended up being successful. They had a couple of big plays deep downfield, and you know they got back into it. But uh, like I said, I don't think the game plan was to start, you know, flinging around and, and throwing for three hundred something <laughs> yards, but. When they were down 10, 14 points, they had to, and then it worked. And unfortunately, like I said, a couple, there was the, the missed extra point was, was a killer, as you mentioned. I mean, they wouldn't have had to go for two there at the end. And then, you know, the offensive pass interference call was, was a tough one at the end because they would pretty much been a field goal position already if they had converted that first down. So looking at the PFF grades, just the overall grades, and I pretty much, you look at the grades, you see DeForest Buckner, who's by far been the best player on the 49ers defense with the exception of a brief period of Reuben Foster looking very good when he was in there in week one. But do you look at the offensive side of the ball and and all these grades look right on until I see Carlos Hyde's grade. 
and he's one of the worst graded players on the team. But what I've seen is a player who who people thought maybe wasn't going to be a fit in Kyle Shanahan's scheme and has looked fantastic to me. So uh, where has Hyde won and lost so far this year, and why is his grade so low? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Um, you know, there's a few different things. I mean, one, he is, he's tied for second in the league. He's got four runs of 15 yards or more. So he's got a lot of his runs, a lot of his yardage on, on big runs. Um, not, you know, his run grade is a little lower than I would suspect, is, would have thought just looking at it. Um, you know, I think the two things he's kind of, I don't think struggled with it, but he's been graded down for is, is the passing game one. As a pass receiver, you know, he had a one drop last week. He's only averaged about five yards a catch. So, he hasn't made a lot of headway as a receiver, and he's struggled quite a bit as a blocker. Um, he's, he's a lot of few pressures. So I know both of those things have drugged down his grade quite a bit. I know the running grade isn't quite as high as you would think um, when you're just, you're just looking at stats. I think that's kind of part of the reason why he's, he's down lower than you might think. So how do you like the fit for Carlos Hyde? Do you think he's worthy of someone that the 49ers would like to maybe re-up in the offseason as a free agent and bring back? Or uh, do you think that... Uh, he's a replaceable talent with the 49ers. Have you liked what he's seen here in the in the fit with Kyle Shanahan's offense? I mean, I think I like what I've seen so far. I mean, I think the other thing, you know, talking about is great is, you know, the last week he, you know, got hurt early on. He, he did a really good job gutting it through, I think, whether it was the hip or the oblique or whatever they ended up officially calling. And that's another thing. I know he doesn't get great any higher for gutting through a hip injury, unfortunately, <laughs> on our site. But, um, you know, I think he's he's been a bit of a pleasant surprise. I think, I think you know, they drafted Joe Williams. They, they had Brita. They had brought in Hightower. So I think they brought in some guys who they thought were going to be, you know, fits for, for Shanahan's scheme. And maybe kind of the theory was that maybe Hyde wasn't quite the fit for that. And he, he's run the ball pretty well. Obviously he's broken off two big runs. Um, you know, the big question is he's a free agent at the end of the year. And, you know, do you sign him to a contract? And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, running backs haven't, you know, really struck gold a lot of the free agent marks. So I think a lot of it might be just what the market is out there for Hyde and, if if they're willing to you know to pay whatever he's worth, um, you know obviously the Niners have a lot of salary cap room next year, and some of that or a lot of that might be going to Kirk Cousins. We don't know yet, so it might be whatever's left over and what you know high commands on the open market. Yeah, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the defensive side of the ball too, uh, particularly right now the defensive backfield, which uh, there's been definitely some good and bad. Rashard Robinson is is a player that a lot of people asked me about when I was doing my my mailbag segment here on Locked On 49ers, and he looked really good in week one and was graded well and then uh, had some struggles the last couple of weeks and and was beat deep a couple times, and he looked really on and off in the preseason as well. Do you see just growing pains from a player who's young and who didn't play a lot of college ball either and just is developing? Do you do you see a fit with the defensive scheme? Do you see a player who where you think consistency is just the key here, and those flashes can become the norm for him, and he can be a very good starting corner. Uh, so yeah, the answer is yes. <laughs> I mean, I think <laughs> it is a, a lot question. of it. He's, you know, his guy didn't play a ton of ball in college. You know, he didn't play a lot until later in the year last year. So I think experience is a factor. He's just, I mean, last year and so far the three games this year, he's just been very inconsistent. There's some games where you know he'll make a huge play or he won't, you know, give up hardly any yards in coverage, and then there's other games where. He's getting picked on left and right. He's given up a bunch of plays. He's making some mental mistakes and some bad penalties. I mean, last year, he gave up about 310 yards in coverage, and, and almost half of that came in two games. And all three of his touchdowns he allowed were both in those two games as well. So, I mean, he had, you know, seven or eight pretty good games last year, then two that were just awful. And kind of how it's been this year, he was really good in week one, and the last two weeks he struggled quite a bit. I mean, he had three penalties last week, and he also gave up 66 yards. Um He's allowed, I think, about 129 passer rating when he's been targeted this year. 
Um, he's his coverage grade in our site, I think 34 something or 34 and change, which is down near the bottom of the list for corners. So mm. um, two really rough weeks the last two weeks, and that's kind of what you kind of come to expect from him. I mean, you have a couple of good weeks, a couple of bad weeks. And hopefully, as time goes on and he gets a little more experienced, um, he'll be a little more consistent. I think the one positive I've actually seen from him is he's been a little bit better against the run this year. He's kind of made a couple of good plays. He had forced a fumble with McCaffrey in week one, so he's he hasn't quite as the weak spot as he, as he was last year in the run game just because of the size, but uh, definitely I think uh, he just needs to develop some consistency. I have been impressed with him sticking his nose in against the run, and that's been a theme with the entire defense and particularly with the safeties. And I've been really excited about the safety play from just about everybody who they've thrown in there so far this season. Eric Reed has been a fantastic fit at strong safety, unfortunately got hurt, and then Tart looked good at free safety. Uh, making plays on the ball, making plays on tight ends. And then when he was forced into action at strong safety, he's looked just as good there. So a really a huge step taken forward by Tart in his career in this season, which is, has been one of the biggest surprises for me so far in this defense. Not that he didn't have the talent, but he just hadn't shown it yet. And then when Jimmy Ward got plugged in at free safety, I love the way he's flying around. Uh, how have they graded out? Yeah, I mean, they definitely, I think, one of the, the I won't say surprises, but one of the, the highlights so far in the defense has just been the safety position. I think probably one of the biggest benefactors of, of the new kind of Seattle-style defense is, is been Eric Reed and moving into the box. He's been really good, graded very well against the run. I'm unfortunately, I mean, that was a big injury when he when he got hurt. Um, and now you said Zaklowski Tart has been a real surprise at free safety because I kind of always seen, saw him more as a a box safety or kind of that Dion Buchanan type mm-hmm. guy who can you know, when they come in and he can kind of play that linebacker role where he can cover the linebackers, but also stick his nose in against the run. But, you know, he, you know, replaced, uh, Ward the first couple of weeks of free safety. He's graded really well. He's been fantastic in coverage. Um, I think his pass rating allowed is like 32.8 when he's been targeted this year. Um, his coverage grade is 87.8, which is the fourth, um, best among safeties in the league so far. I think in overall grade, he's in the top 10 as well. So I mean, he's performed really well. And, and even Jimmy Ward coming back from the hamstring injury just didn't miss a beat. He played really well last week as well. So I mean, all three of those guys have been um, grading really well so far. I mean, I think you got it's going to be interesting. There's some decisions that come along with with Reed and, and then even Ward down the line as, as far as who you keep. I mean, you know, Ward's had some injury, you know, issues in the past. Is that a guy you want to lock up for a significant amount of time? And then you know, Reed's a free agent, I believe, at the end of the year too. So um, they're going to have some interesting decisions with those guys, but uh, they definitely have some depth at the safety spot. So when you talk about the defensive backs and especially the, the corners and some of the struggles there in the passing game so far this year, some of that has to do, obviously, and a lot of it, actually, it's a symbiotic relationship with the DBs and the front four getting pressure. And the 49ers aren't running a scheme where they want to blitz a lot from, uh, and actually probably seen as many blitzes from corner or from uh, defensive backs in the strong safety than we have from the linebackers. But if the front four can't get consistent pressure, that's going to be very difficult all season for the corners. And uh, aside from Buckner, who's who's had some great grades, a lot of these not not a lot of pressure coming, particularly from the the left defensive end spot. And even when they have been getting pressure, they haven't accumulated a lot of sacks. Yeah, I mean, I think you look. I mean, DeForest Buckner has been having a tremendous year so far. I mean, he's he's got 16 quarterback pressures so far, which is the most of any interior defender in the league. He's got our third highest um, overall grade among interior defenders behind J.J. Uh, Watt and, and Dominican Sue. So, I mean, he's playing at a near all-pro level. He's um, he's also tied for second among you know, defensive tackles with eight run stops. So he's playing solid both as a pass rusher and against the run. Um, 
the rest of the pass rush is a little bit non-existent. You know, it's interesting. They're averaging uh, getting pressure on about 37% of their opponent's dropbacks, which is actually higher than average. But when you kind of look at that a little further, it um, you, know, you look at one way. Well, one, you know, week two against Seattle, their offensive line is, you know, obviously abysmal. And so th- that number is kind of inflated. Plus, you look at the last two weeks, and Russell Wilson and Jared Goff are two quarterbacks who pretty much rank near the top of the league as far as how long they hold the ball before, you know, releasing it. So they're kind of in, inviting more pressure just because they're hanging on the ball so long. So that, that number's a little distorted, even though they're above average. But I mean, the, the big number is that they only have three sacks through three weeks. So, you know, they, they pressured on 37 and 99 dropbacks, but they only have three sacks. So that's a pressure to sack rate of about 8%, which is a really, really low number. So they're getting quite a bit of pressure, but they're not converting that into sacks. I think you're looking at, you know, like I said, the, the kind of the Leo spot and some of the other spots. Armstead's getting some pressure, but not to converting into sacks. Lynch and Dumerville haven't really been on the field a whole lot, but they haven't been able to sack the quarterback either. So I think that's, you know, getting that, the, the pressure from the edges is where it's been lacking. And I think that's one thing going forward. They need to, you know, get that done to kind of help out some of those corners a little bit. Yeah, that's one of the things I was worried about coming into the season. And as talented as those defensive linemen are, particularly the first, the last three first round picks, uh, Armstead and Solomon Thomas at defensive end, both those guys are more power players than bendy edge rushers. So, and, and this has been Eric Armstead's MO even since back in college is he creates havoc but can't get home and get a lot of sacks. So I kind of thought that was going to be the same way. And he does look a little bit quicker, so I think he might get home a little bit more often this year just because he lost some weight. And he is looking quicker, but he's just not that prototype bendy edge rusher. And I think Lynch and, like you mentioned before, Elvis Dumerville and Aaron Lynch, those are the two guys that really fit that mold. So on third downs, I would expect them to to be more of, of the sack getters. But But still, we need to see more not just pressure, but we needed to see the interior guys and particularly Salma Thomas, who has the worst pass rush grade on the team right now, uh, getting to the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I think actually, you know, Tank Carradine actually been playing really well against the run, you know, being out for a significant amount of time. That's going to give more snaps to, to Thomas as well. So, I mean, it's really going to be up to him to, to try to get some more pressure off the edge. And, and, you know, if he can't get done, some of these guys, like I said, that come in, coming in on the passing downs, like, I mean, you know, I think Dumerville, I'm off the top of my head, I think he's played 48 snaps and Lynch has played 44. So, I mean, that's, and they've had about a close to about 200 snaps so far through three games. So less than a quarter of the time, either one of those guys on the field. I don't know if it's a matter of getting them on the field a little bit more, um, instead of some of these other, you know, as opposed to maybe Solomon Thomas on third, on passing downs or, you know, somewhere to get, somewhere to get some pass rush on the edge. Maybe even Armstead too is another example where, you know, he might be the Leo guy on some base downs where they might be running, but, you know, on some more passing downs and getting some of these other quicker edge guys. You said someone who can kind of, you know, bend the edge a little bit. Um, but, you know, the sacks aren't coming. I think it's, you know, we were talking about Rashad Robinson's grade being, being poor. And, you know, when you can't get to the quarterback, it makes it very rough on your outside cornerbacks. Uh, Absolutely. And so just to finish off the defense side of the ball, the linebackers aren't necessarily grading out super well either so far. Uh, how how bad does this defense miss Reuben Foster in the middle, running around like he was throughout the preseason and oh, uh, the beginning of that first game? Yeah, I mean he he graded out really well for us in the preseason, and even yeah, he played 11 snaps before getting hurt in, against Carolina and had already put up a pretty good positive grade before then. So, I mean honestly, he just from what you saw in preseason in the first quarter against Carolina, I mean he looks like he was their best defensive player. Um, I mean, Buckner's been awesome, but, you know, he just was, he's so dynamic out there. Um, and they really miss him one just because, I mean, his replacement, uh, you know, Ray Ray Armstrong has really struggled a lot. 
um, to the point where they've kind of benched him and, you know, you know, Coyle's even got a few snaps here and there. And then, you know, Bowman has been okay the first two weeks. And then last week he really struggled against the Rams. I think just, you know, 82 snaps against Seattle and then having to come back four days later with, you know, where his body is now with the knee and the Achilles and everything else is just, I think that was a little much to ask him. And he really had an off game against the Rams. And so, both those guys have, you know, overall for three weeks that their grades been pretty low. And so they, they really miss Foster because you aren't getting a whole lot out of the, the two guys kind of playing in the middle there. It's amazing how much of an impact Foster made in a game where he only took 11 snaps. Just just watching him, it's it, I think and we've talked about DeForest Buckner. and He's by far been the best player, I think, on the defense so far or really on the team this year so far. But I think Ruben Foster is actually a better player and more impactful even than than Buckner maybe. And so those two, it would be really fun. Hopefully Foster can get on the field and get healthy because it would be really fun watching those two guys uh, on the first two levels for a very long time in the middle because, uh, man, Foster Foster's impressive. Yeah, now you're hoping he's going to be coming a little bit soon. I mean, you know, you saw Carradine also had the high ankle sprain, and they actually put him on IR. And I'm sure he's be one of their designated return guys, whether it's four weeks, eight weeks, or ten weeks. But they left uh, Foster on the roster. So, I mean, I think the hope there is that, uh, you know, they have a mini buy now. I don't think you'll see him this week, but maybe you, hopefully week, next week or the following week, you know, you'll see him coming back. Um, I mean, I also the key with those, with those high ankle sprains, you don't want to come back too quickly because, you know, you can do more damage. But, uh, and honestly, they're 0-3 at this point. I mean, I don't think they're contending for the division. So you want to be, you know, think towards the long term, but I right. mean, they could really use him back there at linebacker. Yeah, and Foster definitely seems like the type that they're going to have to hold him back because if they ask him, yeah. he can say, "Yeah, I can play this week. Let's go." So uh, yeah, they do need to be careful with Ruben Foster. And uh, you made a great point about all the snaps that uh, Navarro Bowman took, and really the entire defense. And this defense is is predicated upon all gas, no breaks. You know, extreme violence. They play hard, and so you saw them wear down in a couple of those games in the fourth quarter where their offense wasn't able to stay on the field a lot and the defense was on the field a ton, and then to come back in a short week. So not only Navarro Bowman, but just the whole front four and the corners and their inability to get a lot of pressure. I think some of that might also be just, you know, the hangover for a short week. So a nice full week of rest here, and so hopefully we'll get some of that back in week four. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, you look at, I mean, I know they talk about kind of limiting Buckner's plays this year, but I mean, he's played about 85% of the snaps so far this year. Um, Armstead's played 80%. So, I mean, just like I said, you know, most of those, those guys played a lot of the 82 snaps against Seattle. So to have to come back four days later, I mean, that was just, that was a tough gas. One of a Bowman, but a lot of these other guys as well. And like I said, it's, you made a really good point about Ruben Foster kind of itching to come back. I mean, I was, I was at the Carolina game and, you know, he, you know, he gets carted off the field and we're all thinking, oh, God, he's out for the year. And all of a sudden he kind of comes back on the field. And, you know, you could tell he wanted to come back in the game. And the trainer was kind of putting him through different little exercises and stuff. And he was trying to do everything he could to get back in the game. They wouldn't give him his helmet. They're kind of running, you know, and you're, you see guys consoling him and stuff like that. So he really wanted to get back out on the field even in week one. And they obviously, you know, discretion was a better part of Valor there. And they, and they didn't let him back on, thankfully. But uh, he's definitely one of those guys I think he's going to want to get back as soon as possible. That is Jeff Dini. You're going to definitely want to give him a follow if you don't already on Twitter at PFF underscore Jeff. Uh, he's the 49ers media correspondent and pro football focus. A ton of great 49ers nuggets coming through his feed. Jeff, it's always great to talk to you as always. Uh, hopefully we'll do it again real soon here on Lockdown 49ers. You got any anytime. The great Jeff Dini of Pro Football Focus. Always fun to talk to him. And don't forget, guys, you can get your own membership to PFF. 
Just by going to iTunes, rating and reviewing Locked On 49ers, we're picking a new winner every week. Going to let you know who that second winner so far this season is later on this week of the PFF Edge membership. It has a value of $39.99 and well worth it. I know how much work goes into this stuff being an analyst in the past. I actually stopped being an analyst this year because of this show, partially, because uh, I wanted to have enough time to be bringing Locked On 49ers to you guys every week, so I'm actually not doing the analyst thing at Pro Football Focus this season. Uh, but uh, it's a lot of fun, and it's it's really cool. It was really cool to be part of that and see how much effort is put in and the army of people that go into getting all this data and all this information about every player and every snap of every NFL football game. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Be back tomorrow on a little Winky Wednesday right here on Locked On 49ers. Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17